If you're listening right now, whether that means you've been listening since week one, whether this is your first episode, you are a spectacular human being, and I tremendously appreciate it, so thank you. I'm going to continue to release new episodes of the pod every Tuesday morning like clockwork until they rip the mic out of my cold and lifeless hands. Or something maybe slightly more appropriate and less graphic. If there's a question you'd like me to ask entrepreneurs in future episodes, or you just want to bring a little bit of extra joy into my day, go rate the podcast in your podcast's app and include your question in the rating. Uh, Or if there's a guest you want me to interview, um, include it there and then my people can contact their people. And by that, I mean, I will send them an email begging them to come on. This interview with Cheryl got a little weird towards the end. I was up pretty late writing the questions, so I suppose that is the risk of doing that. She handled it incredibly well, except that I asked her about her Netflix queue, and she doesn't watch Netflix, which I was shocked by, as you'll hear. Anyways, let's get it going. Cheryl Kaplan from MGemmy. I was in New York. I was in an Uber with Maria, and we looked out the window, and there was a woman wearing a pair of our sandals, and it was just, it was wild. Welcome, everybody, to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I'm a venture capitalist at Draper Associates. But on this show, we're going to be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we have Cheryl Kaplan, founder and president of MGemmy. She teaches us how to bring old school shoemaking to the new school customer. Today on the show, we have a wonderful guest, Cheryl Kaplan, founder and president of MGemmy. Uh, Cheryl, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So we like to start out by simply asking, what is MGemmy? Sure. So uh, MGemmy was founded in March of 2015, and it was truly driven by a love of the artisanal Italian craftsmanship um, that we had, the founders had, and this desire to bring um, handcrafted Italian footwear to U.S. clients in a whole new way. Um, and what we mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of luxury shoe brands in the U.S. selling product, but we wanted to do it in a way that was unique, selling direct to the consumer, selling new products every Monday offering them at historically impossible prices so that we could offer something as if people were going to Italy and getting it themselves. And what brought you into the shoe business? How did you get here? So I, my background, I grew up in retail, uh, the more traditional kind initially, um, before e-commerce came to be. And um, actually, along the way, met my co-founders in another business that we worked on together. And it was the combination of our backgrounds that had us come up with this idea. So one of the co-founders and the namesake of the brand, her name is Maria Gongemi, 
she's born, she was born in Sicily and had this, you know, she'd go over to Italy, she'd come back with this amazing product that everyone would want. And she would have found it in this little workshop or a tiny little boutique. Um, and we didn't have access to it. And so her, her background in luxury and Italian product mixed with our background in building unique e-commerce, um, experiences, we got together and talked about how to how to bring this unique concept to life. And how did she get dibs on the name? Why isn't it called C Cap? <laughs> Sounds a little less unique and authentic. Um, she is truly the um, the Italian inspiration. The brand has a lot of authenticity based on her growing up in Italy and all of her um, her family history. We also have an office outside of Florence in a small town, and um, and so our roots are really um, Italian authentically. And, um, and she is behind all of the design and product that we, that we develop. And, and how have you funded the business so far? So we've received just over uh, $47 million in funding. We have, um, recently received 16 million in a series C and, um, it's been through initially relationships and then, um, you know, experience working with different partners, our most recent partner being Berta Principal Investments. And what is the what is the landscape, the investment landscape like for consumer goods companies right now? Is it pretty, uh, is it getting easier to raise money for consumer goods? I know, I know there was a period where, you know, if you weren't a technology company, it was very mm -hmm. difficult to raise. Mm -hmm. How, what is that looking like now? I think it's always hard and you have to come at it with something unique and special um, that shows a, a large opportunity for growth. And I think right now, especially in the retail and e-commerce industry, um, investors are looking for something truly special that they believe will um, sort of get past the the slump that a lot of retail is in. You know, we believe that retail is not dead. A lot of people are worried about retail. We just think that you need to be constantly evolving and being um, present in the way in which consumers want to be experiencing a brand. So, you know, we believe that we have a unique approach, not just the product and the pricing, but also the way in which we present the brand and um, and sort of where we show up in both the e-commerce and the physical world. Yeah, you mentioned retail is not dead. You're actually, you did a few years of, of direct-to-consumer only online, mm -hmm. and now you're starting to build out some of these brick-and-mortar shops. Can you talk about that a little bit? It seems sort of going back to the old world from the mm -hmm. new world. Right, right. What's old is new again, I guess. Um, so I think the difference is that they're not traditional brick and mortar stores. Our physical experiences are truly distinct and specialized. So, you know, we have we have popped up in different locations everywhere from a very short pop-up in LA to a longer term uh, fit shop in Soho in New York. 
Um, we are in the Prudential Center, which is very much a lifestyle mall and where we have some unique synergies with the brands that surround us. And then we've also done um, what we call Andiamo, which is a mobile um experience that uh, over the summer we started it where it was a gelato truck that served both gelato and our shoes in fun colors. And so, you know, we're always looking for different ways to present the brands, not traditionally. Our fit shops, you go in, you experience the brands. If you hadn't heard of us, we tell you all about how we started and let you try as many shoes on as you want and really get a feel for who we are and what we do and and learn the story. And it's there where you get to see the difference, you know, that this is truly luxury footwear, but the price point isn't traditional luxury. And when you get to see it and feel it and try it on, you know, you experience the brand firsthand. So that's been a very successful uh, program for us. We also just recently um, have a shop in shop in the Bloomingdale's on 59th Street in New York, where they opened a new shoe salon. Um, And so that's another example where we still are always working directly with our clients and managing the experience, but allowing them to to experience MGEMI in different ways in different locations. For the shop in shop, have you thought about going shop in shop in shop where the third shop is gelato? (laughs) You never know. (laughs) Could be. Um, and the di- the direct to consumer shoe market is really competitive, uh, especially right now. Um, how how do you differentiate your brand? Well, first of all, the direct to consumer um, footwear space in our in our brand is unique in that we offer new shoes every Monday. Um, that is not typical in luxury. So typically, you'll see brands come out with seasonal shoes. You know, they'll do a spring and then a late spring and then a summer. Every Monday, M. Jemmy drops a new shoe or a couple of shoes in a collection. And that is based on our flexible supply chain that we have built, which is one of the truly unique features of this brand that, you know, we're working directly with about 12 to 15 different workshops that make our shoes and we work with them directly. We partner with them and by being able to make shoes so um, quickly, we're able to react and, and get back into different styles as they, you know, perform or make a change based on size run or things like that. So this unique supply chain allows us not only to drop new shoes every Monday, but also be very um, proactive in future orders or reorders. You drop new shoes every Monday? We do. We do. And we believe that that is something that that separates us from from many others. You know, new shoes, shoes are supposed to be fun. And so we believe why wait for a whole season and try to, you know, absorb all of the different new styles? Why not every Monday come back and see what's new, give people a reason um, to be excited about Mondays and um, and come back and check us out? 
Yeah, and it also plays into that sort of limited collector psychology that exists in the sneaker world. Exactly, exactly. The drops are something that, you know, we see on social media people get excited about. Um, they ask questions. They can, um, some of our customers get a VIP invite the night before to shop early. So it's become, you know, sort of fun to, to wait and see what's happening on the next Monday. Okay, so talk about your supply chain a little bit. You make your shoes in Italy, mm -hmm. as I understand. Yep. Do you do you speak Italian or is there a lot of Google Translate or or how do you set up your operations there? Sure. So I do not speak Italian, but over the past three years have have learned enough to get me by. Um, also by using a lot of motions and hand gestures. Um, but, but in all seriousness, um, we have an office in Italy where we have about eight people that work on our product development team and shoe design team. And so they uh, work directly with our workshops. And, um, and then we also have some, some people in our New York and Boston offices that speak Italian. But um, you know, our team there all speaks fluent English and, um, you know, we figure it out. But no, I, I have not mastered the language just yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> um, and where are you having success finding customers? Where are what channels are you finding to be the most effective? And and where are you in that process? So it's obviously um, Facebook and Instagram are are some of the channels that that we have seen success with in in um, finding our clients. But like I said, we also like to pop up where they are. So you know, when Andiamo, our gelato truck, traveled this summer up the East Coast, we popped up at you know at beaches, at hotels, outside of restaurants, you know, in places where. Um, our clients were vacationing or, um, you know, spending time with friends. And so it was a very unique way to get in front of people. So there's the traditional sort of online marketing channels, and then there are the more fun, unique ways to, to pop up, um, where they are. Yeah, your your Instagram account makes me feel like I'm in Italy on the <laughs> island of Capri. Well, that's the goal. Macchiatos. That's the goal. Yeah. And we do find that a lot of our clients have ties to Italy. You know, they had a vacation there once and it just really does bring them back. Um, and, you know, there is this true authenticity, you know, having worked on other brands in my career, you are always looking for ways to, to tell a story or come up with a reason for that next email that's going out. And here we have so much authentic content. Um, we always say we should just have someone follow the team around in Italy and, and, you know, we wish everyone could go in and see the workshops and experience what we experience. You know, when, when you say handmade, I, I don't think people truly get that the pride and ownership that each of the artisans have in their piece of making these shoes, you know, watching the, the women and men put that last stitch in or, you know, package it up as the final step in the process. It truly is unique and, um, and something that, you know, we really want to get out there and be able to, to show more people. And do you work with social media influencers at all? Uh, we did initially. And, you know, what, what we look to do mostly now is find people to work with that are, that are really passionate about our brands. Um, you know, I think the influencer 
model has changed so much and the consumer has come to expect that so much of it is sponsored. And, you know, one of the things that we really look for are women or men that have an affinity for the brand naturally. Um, and, you know, that being, do they love wearing our shoes and, you know, and, and do they post because they like to. So, um, you know, we've, we've evolved that program over the last few years. And is your demo mostly women or mostly men? It's mostly women. Um, I think it's it's sort of a typical um, breakdown, though we believe the men's the men's opportunity is huge and um, and still very much in front of us. But the majority right now is women. Do your customers have any input on your internal decision making? Are they influencing what you pick as your next style or color or anything like that? Yes. And um, I'm glad you asked because I think that is also a differentiator for us. So we listen to our clients. If you go to our website, our phone number, our email, our chat, we reach out, we look for ways for people to contact us. Sometimes you go to websites and you have to seek out how to reach them. We make ourselves very accessible. I actually sit next to our customer service team so that I can be in the know, not only to help them if questions come up, but also to hear what's coming in and what type of feedback we're getting. We also have product reviews. We have NPS surveys. We do focus groups. So we, we really do look for ways to hear back from the client. And um, there have been a number of times where the feedback has turned into us creating a new shoe or a change to a shoe. So for example, and again, you know, the supply chain really helps us be able to do that. So we launched um, a shoe last August. It was a three-inch heel, three-and-a-half-inch heel, and we heard from our customers that they love it. They wish they could wear it, some of them, but they really need a lower heel but love the silhouette. So we came back you know, 35 days later with that silhouette in the lower heel. Um, another time, we had a shoe that people loved the material. They wanted to see it in a different type of shoe, and so we came back the next season and offered that. So, you know, it's, it's great to be able to get that feedback in a lot of traditional, um, experiences. What happens is you hear that and then you can impact the next time you're making a shoe, maybe next year for us, that data and that input is so helpful real time because we can truly affect the season that we're in within 30 days. We could go back to our warehouse and, um, and work with the, with the um, factory owners and come back with a change to something or something different based on the feedback that we're getting. So it really helps to have that direct line. And it's one of the reasons why the direct to consumer model is so critical because if you are in wholesale, you sort of give up that relationship and here we own the relationship end to end. Is there anything you've learned from your customers that we wouldn't necessarily expect? Um, God, we learn from them every day. Um, I think that one thing is that men really know a lot about the construction of shoes and they want to know the story and they want to know how to care for their shoes. And so content is such a critical piece in, um, in building out the experience. And so that's been a great learning as we've seen, um, feedback from them. 
Um, I think that, you know, consumers are pretty savvy. They want to understand how it is that we're offering the quality and the design and the concierge level customer service and the cadence and the, you know, the limited production shoes at the price that we're doing it. Um, they're interested in the model. So um, again, you know, storytelling is a critical piece of what we do because they're smart and they want to understand it. And they want to make sure that when we say the quality is unparalleled, that, that they truly understand how that's even feasible. And what does your day-to-day look like now? How big is the company and, and what are you working on? Hmm. Um, so at this point, you know, we're seeing growth of 100% year over year. And um, my day is a typical entrepreneur's day. It's never the same. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time recruiting and working with the team Um you know, we're very focused right now on building out our retail strategy as well as um, an initiative in where we're working with the data science team that we just brought in to really get predictive about the way in which we're planning out the business. It's really, for me, a mix of art and science. So I have the best of both worlds where I work with the design team on the product, and then I also get to work with the experiential team on um, how we're going to present to the customer as well as you know how we're going to be predictive in, in the future months to come. And what about uh, number of employees? I think you mentioned you have a New York office, a Boston office, and a Florence mm-hmm. office. How many people are working with you now? We have about 55 people, and the way that um, the different offices work, in New York, we have creative and marketing, and in, in Italy, we have all of our shoe and you know, product development, and then in Boston is um, sort of everything else, so from HR and finance to customer service and technology. Um, we are all very, um, flexible in the way we work. We use a lot of video conferencing and, and Slack tools and, you know, ways to keep everyone sort of connected so that it doesn't feel like we're in three separate offices. You know, hiring's a critical component. Um, I meet everyone that we hire. We want to make sure that we develop a culture that's consistent throughout the different offices. And, you know, so we look for, you know, certain, skill sets and, um, and type of people so that we can make sure that everyone um, is marching towards the same place. And how is the Boston consumer goods startup scene? Are you sort of the only one in that pond? No, I mean, I've been so I was born, raised in New York, I, I moved to Massachusetts after college. And, you know, I've been here my whole career, and much of it has been in the startup world. Um, I think there's a lot of innovation that goes on here, especially because of all of the, the great um, universities that are here. So we see a lot of, of ideas and opportunities coming out of some of those, um, you know, young entrepreneurs. You were born and raised in New York, and now you live in Boston. Do you just sort of stay inside during sporting events? <laughs> I am a diehard Yankee fan. Um, 
I have twin boys. One is a Red Sox fan and one is a Yankee fan and my husband's a Red Sox fan. So you can imagine in October, it's tough to be in my house, but um, there's a lot of us up here. So I have found, I have found some friends. That's good. Yeah, that's good. A couple transplants. You guys just sort of get yeah, together exactly. and go, go uh, just egg people yeah. out of the bars. Um, what, and what, what's keeping you up at night right now? What are the challenges you're working through? I am, um, let's see, maniacal when it comes to fit. I think that um, fit is something when you're selling footwear online that should always be keeping you up at night, no matter how good you are. Um, we always want to make it better. We've, we work very hard on having as consistent a fit as we can, but of course, everyone's feet are different. And so it's always something that we're working both with our online experience, as well as with our, um, our, our warehouse and our factories to make sure that we're doing everything we can to, to get the fit as, as perfect as possible. And was there ever a point where you felt like this is just too hard? You know, this is much more difficult than (laughs) I thought it would be. Maybe it's not worth it. You know, uh, maybe the competition is too big. Uh, maybe we're not differentiated enough. Was there ever that sort of moment of doubt early on in the process of forming the business? Never, because at the end of the day, I really believe that we're filling a void um, prior to, I always say, you know, if MGemmy didn't exist, where would I buy my shoes? And I'm really not sure. And so for me, that just proves the opportunity. I believe it's huge. Um, I love Italian footwear. I don't love the prices that all of the other brands charge, um, but I think that MGemmy has a tremendous opportunity. It's right in the sweet spot. It has all of the quality. It's made in the exact same factories as some of all of our favorite brands, and yet you you can pay you know two hundred and twenty eight dollars for a pair of shoes instead of eight hundred dollars. It used to be that I'd buy a couple pair here and there, and I'd feel sort of guilty if I wore those really expensive shoes out. I'd be afraid to wear them. I'd be afraid to ruin them. So they almost become like art. Here, you get the best of both worlds. You can buy more, and you can actually wear them and not feel like they're so precious because of the cost that you don't want to wear them. So um, long story short, I've never doubted the opportunity that's in front of us. Of course, there are days that it's hard, but I think what drives me is the fact that I truly believe that, that this is a void in, in, the, in the industry, a true white space. And what is your favorite pair of MGemmy shoes today that's currently available? <sighs> oh. <laughs> It's Sophie's like choosing tro- a favorite child. Yep, Sophie's choice. I had to do it to you. Um, so I love so – I'm going to say two. Okay. <laughs> so, there, so there's a boot that we make that everyone knows I have in every color that we've and material that we've come out with. It's called the Corsa, and it is just the perfect heel height, the perfect silhouette. Um, it looks good on everyone with everything from jeans to a dress. Um, the other shoe that I love is a sneaker called the Palestra and it's our version of the white lace up and it's comfortable again, like it's very versatile in what I can wear it with and it's seasonless. 
Um, so the, I would have, if I had to say, those are my two favorite right now, but if you ask me in a few days, I'm, I might give you different answers cause I have a lot of favorites. Okay. Um, do you, do you remember the first time you saw a pair of M Jemmy shoes out in the wild, not on a family member or employee? I do. It's so funny you say that I was in New York. I was in an Uber with Maria and we looked out the window and there was a woman wearing a pair of our sandals and it was just, it was wild, you know, because like you said, you know, when we initially launched, it was a lot of friends and family. And so that came to be expected, but seeing it, whether it's the box on the back of a UPS truck or the shoes on someone's feet, it, it's, it never gets old. Do the shoes have any brand identifier where you can spot them from far away or did you just know them so well that you knew they were yours? Oh, I knew they were ours. Yeah, I spend a lot of time with our footwear. <laughs> I would, I would imagine so. Um, and then, sort of along with that, was there a specific inflection point uh, or multiple? Maybe it was over a period of time where it started to feel like this could be a really, really big business. Um, you know, we we sold a pair of sneakers. It's a woven slip-on sneaker, and the wait list took off. And we were, you know, it was about two years ago. So we were about a year into the business and we had a 6,000 person wait list for this shoe. And we were still at a point where a lot of people didn't know who M. Jemmy was. And I thought to myself, oh my God, you know, like, like in a matter of, you know, a couple of weeks for that to take off that way and get the buzz that it got, you know, it's those moments when you see, um, the the excitement in the in the client base and 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 it acquires customers too you know just the the leads that you would get from people wanting to check it out because then they started hearing about it and then they sign up for the waitlist there's this emotional um, I have to have that shoe feeling that um, is that you know that appetite that that we're looking for and sometimes when you see it so early on you just you know you're hitting on something if you weren't making shoes what would you be doing and you only get one answer this time for work or yeah, what would you be doing if you weren't making you know thousands and thousands of pairs of beautiful shoes so i i love starting new businesses I love building brands and building teams. And that for me is what drives me. It just so happens that along the way I met my co-founders and, you know, and, and we got into footwear because we saw this opportunity. I've learned a ton about how to make shoes, about feet in general, all of that. But the bottom line is that I love building brands that consumers are, you know, excited about and addicted to and passionate about. And then I love building the teams that that help to make that happen. So are we talking like a sandwich shop, uh, you know, <laughs> coffee chain, uh, a uh, shirts company? I don't know. You know, I mean, the last business that that I was a part of was an off price online retailer that sold other people's brands. You know, I think it's about finding the opportunity and then, you know, if it can be big, really, you know, ex exploding that. And that for me is the excitement is finding those those niche opportunities that that you see that maybe no one else is really doing yet. And then you get the opportunity to to execute against this exciting idea. So 
if you asked me, you know, five years ago, if I would have been starting up a footwear brand, I'm not sure I would have given you that answer. Um, for me, it's sort of like watching the industry, watching the needs, and then, um, you know, assuming it's in my sweet spot, go after it. Okay, and now we get into some sort of loopy questions that may or may not make sense uh, and okay. may or may not be applicable. But, uh, you know, it may or may have been late when I wrote these last night. Okay. Um, what's in your Netflix queue? I'm not really into Netflix, I have to tell you. The, I know that's not a popular wow. answer. But, wow. But I, I might but have to I will cut say this. this. I, um, I, I watch it when I travel, but otherwise I commute a lot. You know, I have a long commute. I work a ton. I have a family. So I don't, I'm not a big TV watcher. Well, that erases my next two to three questions. So let's see what else we got. <laughs> uh, you're st- okay. You're stuck on an island. We'll call it Capri because yep, shout out that. to your Instagram feed. Um, and you only get to bring one Boston based movie. I, when I wrote this question, also, I didn't know you were from New York originally. <laughs> So we're going to just pretend like you're from Boston. You've been living there for a while. So I think that's good. You have to have like a few movies sort of that you're thinking about as good Boston movies. What is it? Yes. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the name. So, oh my uh, God. There's Goodwill Hunting. There's Mystic yes, River. I love, I love Goodwill Hunting. I have shown it to my kids. We watch it all the time. They love it. I really, I think the story is amazing. I, I love that movie. Okay, and then have you read the book Shoe Dog? A long time ago, yes. And if I am not, I am not a shoe dog. <laughs> okay, so this is good. I'm good. You're ready for the question already. And if Phil Knight considers himself to be the shoe dog, what sort of shoe animal would you want to be? Hmm. Oh. Maybe maybe something a little this more is sophisticated. Rough for a afternoon. <laughs> yeah, th- that's where I get you. That's where that's uh, the endearing part of of the podcast. Uh, may, I'm thinking. So here are just some ideas. A little more sophisticated. Maybe an animal that's cunning but trustworthy. Something you can rely on. Shoe eagle. Shoe I panther. Say, I was going to go with owl. Owl is good. Maybe like a wise cracking shoe owl. I like right. that. Right. There we go. Uh, That's my next book. <laughs> and then I also just want to make it known that I have not received any sponsorship requests from shoe companies yet. So I'm just going to let that sit out there. If you're ever looking to get into sort of the venture capital market or the podcast market and you need a model to sort of just wear your shoes, <laughs> Thank you. just just let me know. I'm, I'm one call away. That's um, great to know. Thank you. And then... <laughs> What is a piece of advice that you wish someone had given you when you got started? Um, great question. So I, I learned throughout um, the process of, of my career that it's important to focus on the future and not worry so much about what's happening right now. Um, I know a lot of young people are very worried about their title and their salary. And what I believe is focus on working hard and figuring out how to get to the next level by doing great work and always be learning. Because I think if you focus too much on the here, the right now, then you might lose sight of where that could take you. So, you know, I, I would say really 
focus on doing a great job and good things will come. And then is there any new release or announcement or anything you want to talk about? Mm, nope, not at this time. And is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, at mjemmy on Instagram uh, to feel like you're in Italy wearing comfortable shoes, um, <laughs> sipping espressos, and go to mjemmy.com and, and you sell incredible shoes. So uh, Mondays, apparently there's a new drop every Monday. Is there anything mm -hmm. else? Uh, this coming Monday, we're celebrating our anniversary and our three-year anniversary. So it will be an extra special Monday. And yeah, I think I'd love, I mean, I would love the opportunity for people to try the shoes. You know, all I would say is our clients are very loyal and very passionate. And um, once they try them, they come back, you know, anywhere between three and four times a year to purchase again. So I would say to anyone out there who hasn't tried them yet, please do try them and I'd love their feedback. And where are your retail stores that are to, uh, standing today? So aside from our online website, we are at the Prudential Center in Boston and in Soho in New York City. And as of today in Bloomingdale's on 59th Street, and then our Andiamo truck is currently at Tyson's Corner, but that changes um, every so often. Who doesn't want some gelato and a comfortable, beautiful pair of shoes? <laughs> exactly. Uh, thank you so much, Cheryl. This was a delight. Thanks for putting up with me. Uh, and <laughs> congrats on all the success. And I look forward to continue to hearing about you. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you all so much for listening. Please rate and subscribe if you get the chance and have a wonderful rest of your week. I will be back next Tuesday.